we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church.
as we gather in this place together. We pray that you would show us your presence. And we recognize that it's not a matter of us gathering in a room and saying, God, would you come and meet us here? But it's really the other way around. God, you'd say, come and meet me. I'm already here. So even singing that, you are welcome here. It's, it's almost a, got a stance of us saying, we're ready. We want to hear from you. As we continue our worship, we're going to have an opportunity to do so through our giving. So there are going to be plates that are passed around. And, and this is really an opportunity in light of the reality that everything we have belongs to God to simply respond to him in worship. So let's continue in our worship through giving, through singing, declaring that he is good.
If you're a guest with us today, let me just say we're so thrilled to have you here. Um, hopefully you've already seen this, but it should be in the chair in front of you. It's a card that says Connect Here. So if you're new with us today, would you just honor us by filling this out? Um, and we would just love to know that you are here worshiping with us and, and also gives us opportunity to connect with you and begin a friendship with you uh, later on in the week. So please do this if you're new, and we are so honored that you're here worshiping with us today. Let's stand together, and we're going to read Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore... As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You may be seated. Last week, I said something like, this work of Paul was a serious work. And I was alluding to or pointing to the struggle that Paul had. He talked about his suffering for their sake. And I said it's a serious work for Paul. But I also want to begin there today because that's where Paul begins and ends this section. So let me just read that again, these, the, uh, verse 1 and then a little bit um, of verse 5. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. In the verse 5, he says, for though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So there are a number of churches throughout Asia Minor and then uh, parts of, of Greece where these churches have never seen Paul. They've never met him face to face, and they only know him vicariously um, through other people, in this case, Epaphras. Remember, Epaphras was from a businessman from Colossae and had been in Ephesus and probably heard Paul preach and teach, and he brought that message of Jesus back to Colossae where people put their faith and trust in Jesus, the Son of God, who died for their sins so that they could know forgiveness and restoration. And so the church in Colossae only knew about Paul and even about Jesus through Epaphras. They only knew him vicariously. And yet, and yet, God continued to advance his church throughout this region. What do I mean by that? I've already mentioned it before, but these young and new believers, starting out of Ephesus, they didn't even have the whole Bible. Now get this. They didn't have uh, this small church, mostly made up of Gentile believers, probably didn't have the whole Old Testament, and they did, certainly didn't have the New Testament, and yet, upon receiving the Word of God, 
they intuitively, being led by the Spirit of God, began to tell the message of the gospel to other people from city to city. It's pretty cool that that happened. They began to bear witness to the work of Jesus. Regardless, the gospel traveled from Ephesus to the Colossians without ever seeing Paul's face. Didn't know him face to face. In a sense, Paul becomes their granddad. With Epaphras being their father in the faith, Paul becomes their granddad. The Colossians, uh, the church in Colossae are kind of like grandkids in the faith. And so when Paul talks about his struggle for them, for their sake, it's not just a serious work, it is, but he speaks out of real, genuine care and affection for these people he has never seen, for this church. He aches for them. He longs to nurture them, help them. He wants to protect them from the things that they might faith. It's kind of like how we would feel with our own children if we were cut off from them while they were in a very difficult season of life or if they were facing something that was challenging like the church in Colossae was. It would feel just like parents feeling cut off. And you love your children and knowing they're facing a challenging season, but you're not able to be physically present with them. And so all you can do is encourage from afar Right? You ache for them. You wish you could be there, but you can't. That's what Paul wants more than anything. He can't be present with them, but he longs to encourage them from afar. He's willing, willing even to suffer for it, to keep them following Jesus. Paul wants them to grow up, not stay infants in the faith, but to grow up in Jesus. He wants them to mature. He, he wants them to remember that Jesus is all that they need for all of life. Not just a little bit of life, but all of life. Because Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior, the person. And the work of Christ is sufficient for all things. He wants to remind them of those things. Encourage them in those things. But let's watch how he does it. In verse 2 of chapter 2, Paul says uh, these words. We can get them up on the screen real quick. Here we go. Verse 2. I'm going to get us there, I promise. All right, verse 2 of chapter 2. He says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. I want us to just to put a little bit of emphasis on here, being knit together in love. Paul reminds us that we are in this together, just like I was talking about with the kids. Now, this is really important for us because ever since the Enlightenment, way back when, um, our culture, especially Western culture, has steadily moved more and more and more individualistic. Um, we have taken on the perspective that it's about me, and I have to take care of myself. I find who I am within myself. And that's kind of been adopted even within the church. And so much so that often we're prone to ask things like, well, what does this mean to me? That's not always a great question to ask when you read Scripture. 
Um, although sometimes we're taught to ask that question of Scripture, I say that because meaning is not found in us. And in fact, you're at great risk of going crazy different directions if you try to discern meaning that comes out of you. So asking that question is not always the best question. What does this mean to me? We want to find out what does it mean because the Spirit of God gave this message to a particular person in a particular time in history. We, we want to know what it meant or means for God as he speaks to us through the Word of God. But we're prone to ask those kind of questions. We ask, how do I apply this to my life? And that's not necessarily a bad question. But sometimes, and oftentimes, even in the church, we can think about my own spiritual journey without thinking about the people that we ought to be connected to. So that's not how Paul is thinking about the church. He's thinking about being knitted together in love. He sees a people who are inter interconnected and interdependent, inseparable for the good of the whole, not isolated or on your own. That's what he means, being knit together in love. And so as a church grows up, as people mature in their faith in Jesus, it is through this interwoven, interconnected relationship that God has designed and has called the church. That's what he means by that. He's saying you're not going to grow up in Jesus or mature in Jesus on your own. It's being knitted together in love. Each of us working towards each other's good because we love each other. That's why Paul says in Love. We're looking out for one another. We come alongside one another. We speak into each other. We rejoice with one another. We celebrate with one another. We are knitted together in love. And so Paul is reminding us of that. In Ephesians um, chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, it says this. Rather, speaking the truth in love, he's talking about speaking to one another, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. In other words, we're supposed to be growing up in Jesus together. Verse 16, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul paints the same picture in Ephesians as he does in Colossians, that by God's design, the church is inter interconnected, interdependent, and as we are connected to one another, we grow up. We grow up in love. That's how we ought to work together, and that's where encouragement to really grow up in Jesus happens. Um, this past week, I had a very um, needed experience in my life. Tuesday morning, I went and was a part of a, a small group of pastors at a church in the north of the city. Um, we were talking about discipleship. How do we help each other, or what does discipleship look like in a church to help people mature in their faith? And um, when I went in, they gave me this little card, uh, envelope, um, that someone had written earlier in the week and I was supposed to open it up later on in our time together. And then we went in and began to worship like this, worship music. It was incredible worship music. I needed it. It wasn't, wasn't me leading. It was me receiving. And it was me um, seeking really to worship this God that has called me and loved me, has redeemed me. Um, and then uh, the, the pastor who was leading this time, he said, just want to let you know that 
Um, we have some people that we have appointed as prayer warriors in this church family. We have set them aside for a particular purpose to pray, and some of them have taken off work to be with you today. And so don't be alarmed that at any point during this time where you're singing songs in this small group of pastors, that one of them may come alongside you and pray over you physically. Uh, touch my shoulder and pray over me. And, um, and I was like, Okay. It was okay. And so we began singing, and within a period of about 20 minutes, two different people just began to pray over me and reminding me of the truths of God that are mine in Christ Jesus. And knowing that I was a pastor, they were reminding of my calling. Um, and then later on, he said, I want you to I want you to open up that envelope. And I opened up the envelope, and there was just one word with a verse of Scripture on it, and the word was peacemaker. And what had happened was someone from that prayer team had gotten my name earlier in the week, and they began to pray as to what they wanted to write on that card. So um, they gave me that card that had been prayed over and written upon three or four days earlier with me in mind, even though they never had seen me. And I opened up that envelope. And through that person's prayer, and that word, I was encouraged. You know, I needed that. I was, I don't, I don't feel alone in life. I feel connected to important people, and my, my wife and others, but let me tell you, I needed that feeling of connectedness where someone would physically touch my shoulder and pray over me and speak truths into my life and remind me who I am in Jesus and my calling to be a pastor and, and to love and serve people and to have that word that had been prayed over or given to me, interconnected, knitted together in love. That's what Paul's talking about. I needed it and you need it. He goes on in verses 2 and 3 and 4. He says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. And then he says to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So not only does he want us to be knitted together in love, he, he lets us know when you are knitted together in love and you live out that kind of intentional interconnectedness in the faith, something begins to take shape. It yields something. And so in this case, it yields riches, and it yields treasure of wisdom and knowledge. Now Paul's talking our kind of language. I mean, who doesn't want to be rich? Who doesn't want to have rooms full of treasure? And so Paul tells the church in Colossae, and even us, the FBCSA family, when you grow up in Jesus together... When you grow up together in Jesus, when you look more and more like Jesus, you lack nothing. You acquire riches of assurance of faith and treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When we grow up that way, we are rich in faith and we are treasured up. That's what he says to us. It's kind of like James 1 verse 4. And James, the brother of Jesus, is saying, listen, by the way, you're going to face a lot of tough stuff in life. But this is what he says. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's what Paul's talking about. 
said, I want you to grow up together in such a way that you are rich in full assurance of faith and rich in knowledge and wisdom. This is the picture that Paul is painting of a people who are knitted together in love, maturing in their faith together, who are immovable with one another. No one is able to knock them off the track or out of the race and unflinchingly committed to loving, following, and obeying Jesus together, regardless of what may come their way or even if they fall down along the way. He wants them to be rich. But Paul as he has the whole letter, draws our attention to the infinitely rich diamond mind, which is Christ. What does he say? He says this, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, comma, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul is reminding them, he's been saying it the whole time, if you want rich, richness of the full assurance of faith, and if you want treasures of understanding and knowledge, you go by, you get that by way of a person who is Christ Jesus. Right, the whole time he's been telling us, this faith is about a person. It's about faith in a person. It's about something you do or do for yourself or a righteousness that you accumulate on your own. It's about a person. So he says, if you want to be rich in knowledge and wisdom and understanding, if you want to have room full of treasure of wisdom and knowledge, then it all comes back to and is all sustained by and all points to a person, which is Christ Jesus. Not a philosophy, not a worldview or principles, not ritual or traditions or working hard, but a person. Not secret knowledge or magical words, none of that. And you have to remember, in this first century, all they've been hearing most of their life is that you've got to know some secret knowledge, or you've got to perform some secret ritual, or you've got to add this, and you've got to do this on a particular day, or eat this and don't do this. The whole life they've been told about something that they must do or not do. But he is saying it's not about something, it's about someone. About someone. And I'll be the first one to say that some things are valuable. But they're only as valuable if they point us to a person. Jesus, or if they help us to understand him and see him more clearly, or they help us to follow what he says to us. And so we must be wary of the promise of spiritual ritualism that is devoid of Jesus. And it either dulls our affections for Christ or completely pulls us away. That's why Paul says in verse 4, he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. It's an important phrase, plausible. He says, I want you to grow up in Jesus. I want you to be rich. I want you to have roomfuls of treasure of understanding and the person, Jesus. And the reason I want that for you is so that you won't be persuaded to believe plausible arguments. Now, plausible is important because let me tell you, the enemy does not give us weak arguments. 
Uh, the world, the enemy will come alongside us and they whisper to us or scream loudly to us things that just seem, they just seem to, wow, that just makes sense. It's how I feel. It's, it seems to add up. It just sounds reasonable. Paul says, I want you to be rich enough in Jesus, the person, to know him and see him and to love him and seek to listen to him and follow him so much so that when those reasonable sounding arguments come your way, you're able to say, no, that's, that's not Jesus. It's not Jesus. Watch out for the truth in sheep's clothing. Watch out for truths that people speak that flatter your sensibilities. Listen to this. This is what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. Listen. The time is coming where people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves or surround themselves with teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul says, I want you to be rich in knowledge and understanding in the person of Jesus. I want you to have treasure. I want you to grow up in Jesus so that you're not just willing to listen to things that make you feel good about yourself, that suit your sensibilities, but you see and hold on to the truth that is in Jesus Christ. Be rich in Jesus. Don't pilfer from ear ticklers and peddlers of decrepit myths. That's Paul's heart for us. Then he finishes this section with therefore. This is verses six and seven. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Obviously, every time, well, it might not be obvious, but every time we see the word, therefore, Paul is saying, I want you to go back and remember what I've already said to you. I think Paul is going back not just to these few verses, but he's going all the way back to chapter 1, verse 15, where he says, let me remind you who Jesus is, and, or let me just flesh this out a little more, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that he is the creator and sustainer of all the universe, that he holds all things together, that he is redeemer, he has brought us from darkness into light. It's only through the person of Jesus and the work on the cross and the resurrection that we can have real forgiveness of sin, not just for a moment, but for all time. And so bearing that in mind, he says, therefore, what, what I've told you about Jesus and what I've told you about walking richly with Jesus and being rich in Christ and growing up in Jesus and, and not being deluded by what the world might have to say to us about life and living, but only watching Jesus and listening to Jesus. He says, knowing all of that, therefore, walk in him. Make it your normal pattern of life to walk in Jesus. That's what he means. When he uses the word walk, he's talking about, I want you to develop this normal pattern of life to walk in Jesus in the same way that you received him. Now, this is important. He's saying in the same way that you first encountered Jesus, when Epaphras first came back and sat with you in your home and began to tell you the story 
of this man, Paul, who was talking about this Jewish man, Jesus, who declared himself to be the son of God and, and who died on the cross for your sin and rose from the grave victorious over sin. He said, I want you to continue to walk in him in the same way that you received him. And how did they receive him? I imagine when they first heard the story of the gospel message of Jesus, that their hearts were pricked. The word of God uses that phrase often when the gospel was preached. It says the word of God was pricked. I believe their, their heart or their hearts were pricked. I believe their hearts were pricked. They began to recognize that they were sinful people, that they were far from God, not close to God. And here was the Son of God, this Jesus whom they had never met, but Paul had seen and heard with his own eyes. This Jesus, the Son of God, had made a way because he died on the cross for their sin. He paid a penalty that they could never pay, and their hearts were awakened and quickened, and they said, yes, I believe him. I believe in Jesus. I want Jesus. They didn't come to him proudly. They came to him with humility. They came to Jesus saying, I need him to be reconciled back to God. I need him to have victory over my own brokenness and the own choices that I've made. I need him. And they put their faith in a person in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And Paul says, the same way that you received him at first with humility and faithfulness and belief, continue to walk that way. Folks, we don't graduate from Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. You don't all of a sudden graduate from Jesus and, and then try to, uh, uh, to do this righteousness thing on your own. Thanks, Jesus, for what you've done. I appreciate you starting it for me, but now I'm going to finish. Paul says, you can't walk that way. You've got to walk in Jesus. In the same way that you started your faith with him, you continue your faith in him. This, this word, walk in him, also tells us that we're going somewhere. In the first century, walking was the primary mode of transportation. The way they got from point A to point B was to walk everywhere. It wasn't about fitness. It wasn't about sport. That's what Paul means. He says, in this walk of faith, you are headed somewhere, and you can't get there without him, not on your own. Not by someone else's methods and ideas and truths, but truths. You, you can't get from point A to point B, a, a, B without being in him. That's what Paul means. Make it a normal pattern in the same way that you received him, that you walk with him by faith. You believe in him. You, you seek to listen to him by faith. Where are you headed Paul says you're headed somewhere in the faith. Now he changes metaphors. Before he used words like riches and treasures. Now he paints a similar picture using different words. He uses the words rooted and built up. These are valuable, the way he switches, paints different pictures for us or paints the same picture different ways. And so he paints a picture for us of roots that are sunk deep, that are drinking deep, from his waters that become sturdy and strong like a mighty oak or someone who has built their life upon a firm foundation regardless of the storms that come or the uncertainties that come or if the ground shakes 
you remain joyfully unmoved in Jesus. In Jesus. Paul desires these young Christians to grow up in Jesus together, to be mature, to be rich and sturdy and strong. And he finishes his section by saying, in thankfulness, abounding in thankfulness. This is throughout the scripture, and we don't have near enough time. This could be a series on its own, but he, he characterizes maturity by thankfulness. Being rooted deep, being built up, and what springs out of that is thankfulness. Thankfulness for what? Thankfulness for the person of Jesus Thankfulness for that he walks with us, that he comes alongside us. Thankfulness for the church that speaks into our life, that we have friends and followers of Jesus, sons and daughters of God that come alongside us. Thankfulness that we have been forgiven, that God has made a way. And he said, the more you mature in Christ, thankfulness begins to abound all the more. Um, several times I've talked about jujitsu. Uh, I, I train jiu-jitsu two to four times a week, depending upon my schedule. Um, but there are a few things that I've learned about jiu-jitsu um, at this point in my journey. Um, the first thing I, I have learned that it is a journey, that I'm headed a particular direction. I'm trying to um, take on these skills and become more and more um, a jiu-jitsu practitioner. Um, I, I have learned that my journey is different than other people, that um, while some people run, some people walk. They get to these places or acquire these skills at a different pace than others. But some of the most important truths that I've learned is this, is that I need my coach. I need my coach. There is no way for me to become the type of person, jujitsu practitioner, that he wants me to be without me watching him and listening to him. Now, every time I go to jiu-jitsu, I show up, we do a warm-up, and then my coach will demonstrate for us and speak to us a particular skill. This is what I want you to work on, and I want you to work on it in this way. And then after we do that for a time, then we actually get to work this out together, being knitted together in love, so to speak, um, we begin to work this out together to try to practice what we just learned. And while I'm practicing with my sparring partner, um, I also have to listen to my coach because sometimes he says, Danny, not like that. Uh, Danny, put your arm here. Danny, do this. But the point is this, is that even in jujitsu, it's about a person. It's about me keeping my eyes on a person. It's about me listening to a person. I'm dependent upon him to shape and help and mold me into the path that I'm headed and the life that I need to leave according to jujitsu. And not only that, but I need my sparring partners. I need this community of guys that are willing to live it out together and figure it out together. And even some of these guys that I train will, will tell me, Danny, uh, you need to try it this way because they're a little further along than I am. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what Paul's talking about. I want you to grow up in Jesus, and you can't do it on your own. You have to keep your eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of your faith, 
in him a person, not a ritual, not a day, not a food that you eat, but a person. You've got to watch for him, and you've got to listen to him. And when, when he tells you to make adjustments, you make adjustments. And he's put you in this community that he calls the church, that you're interconnected to one another. You need one another because you can't do this on your own. You have to work this out together. That's what Paul wants. So that we can be strong. So that we can stand firm in the faith, that we can walk in him every single day. And we're going to transition into a time of response this is for us. Um, this time of response is for us. Let me ask you something. Do you feel discontented? When ta Paul talks about being rich, do you feel poor in the knowledge of assurance? Do you feel lacking in wisdom and knowledge? If you do, that's a holy discontentment. God will use that. Look for him, search for him. Do you feel alone, discontented that you feel disconnected and isolated? You know, we can fill a room with people and still people can feel absolutely alone. Um, do you long for people to speak into your life to help you and come along the way? I do, I do. So during this response time, I would just say voice that to the Lord. Lord, I I want to keep my eyes focused on you. I, I, um, I want to be rich in you. I, I want to follow your son, Jesus. I want to put my faith in a person. I don't want to trust my own work or believe other people's myths. I, I, I want to keep my heart and faith and eyes focused on you. That might need to be your prayer today. So let's stand together. We're going to continue to sing and respond. But I'm going to pray for us. Father of grace, um, we're thankful for your son, Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. And Lord, I pray, I do pray that we have a holy discontentment in us that longs for the kind of connectedness that Paul talks about and longs for the kind of richness that Paul talks about and, and longs for the kind of um, seeing of truth that Paul talks about. Lord, forgive us that we have been deluded by so many things. We confess that, that to you now, but we ask that you help us to walk in your son. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Let's respond together.
First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.